It's Fangirl Chat with Teresa Delgado and Trisha Barr. to another exciting episode of Fangirl Chat. I'm Teresa Delgado, one of your hosts, and with me is my always fun co-host, Trisha Barr. How are you today, Trisha? I am doing good because we're talking about one of my favorite movies of the year. It is. It's a great movie. And for this one, we just had to bring on our social media manager for Fangirls Going Rogue, Miss Sandra Shoot. Hey, Sandra. Welcome to Fangirl Chat. Hi, everyone. How are you? We're good. I'm really excited to talk about this. On this show, we're actually going to be talking about Hidden Figures, which came out in 2016, 2017-ish, depending on how you look at it. But I guess it officially came out in 2016. We're going to talk about that a little later. But did you guys get all into the Oscar nominees being announced today and stuff like I did? Or was that just me? Some of it. Um, it popped up on my news feed. My phone was blowing up, so I couldn't help but look uh, to see what was happening. And, of course, a couple of my friends, when, you know, certain movies were nominated, you know, they were really excited, so they were sharing their excitement with me. So, yes, I got. I also got into the Oscar noms earlier today. Trisha, what about you? They did it a little differently, right? So it was on, yes. it was on videos. I'm not sure because I don't usually get to watch because I'm working, but it was coming up on my feed. Yeah, it uh, actually came out this morning before I had to go to work. It was a live stream. I got uh, notified about it. It was a live stream on the Academy Awards or Oscars YouTube channel. And so I watched the whole thing and that was very cool. So I got to watch it live and I was freaking out while I was watching it and so excited. And... Just so our listeners know we're big on Disney here, they got eight nominations for Oscars, so that's really cool. Movies even like The Jungle Book got one. Finding Dory didn't, though. Um, I can't say I'm surprised, actually, but it, some people are very surprised. And then La La Land is taking, just you know, breaking records all over the place, and they are actually tying uh, Titanic for the most Oscar nomina- nominations with 14 so that is pretty awesome. And we're going to talk about La La Land on a next episode in the future. So we're going to talk about Hidden Figures today. And I just wanted to let our listeners know this film isn't what you would call inherently geeky. I'm doing quotations with my fingers. But in a way it is. And Trisha, I thought I'd talk to you about this. This would be considered geeky in your world of engineering and science and technology and all of that stuff, right? Absolutely. I'm watching one of the the stories of early engineers and mathematicians and scientists in NASA launching into space. And there's some connection between imagining space stories, space operas, science fiction, and then how people end up becoming, a lot of people say that inspires them to become astronauts and work in NASA and launch people into space. So yes, I think they tie together perfectly. Yeah. And, and Sandra, we wanted to bring you on because this story is not only about a strong female based cast of characters, but also women of color as the main characters 
and it's one of the first of its kind. And we thought it would be a perfect fit to have you on. Were you excited about this film when you heard about it? I was extremely, I was extremely excited. I was looking forward to it. And so, I mean, just the women in general in my community and men as well uh, were excited uh, when uh, we knew, when we heard about the film. So pretty much everyone that I spoke with, some, uh, many people that were, um, you know, that were into STEM, uh, whether they were men or, or women, uh, were really excited to, to, to see the film. And I know that, you know, people can't see us. So I just want to mention in case people don't know, we actually have three different races on this show right now. And that's really exciting to get a viewpoint from all of us. We're all girls, though, so we don't have the male (laughs) viewpoint, but at least we're coming from all different angles on that front. So if you don't know what Hidden Figures is, it is a film that was based on a book, actually the book proposal not the actual full book because the book came out after they had already started um, or even wrapped filming, I believe, but about three women, Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, and Katherine Johnson, who were all African-Americans and they worked for NASA and they were among the first group of African-American female mathematicians as well as just women mathematicians working for NASA. And they were called the human computers and the film follows their story of how they grew in their careers and were a part of history and helping with you know momentous launches like John Glenn's launch into orbit and you know other things it really focuses on that one as also um Oh, Friendship 7, the Friendship 7 launch, too, I believe. So we're really excited to talk about it. We're going to have a great discussion for you. But as we get started into this, as I always like to do, I like the numbers when it comes to movies. So the production budget for Hidden Figures was $25 million. And during its limited release in 25 theaters from December 25th to January 5th, the film grossed $3 million. I don't know if that's like record-breaking or anything because I don't know much about limited releases, but I want to take this time right here. When did you guys actually see the film? Trisha, we'll start with you. I saw it. It was a week. It was out two weeks before the national release date. So I saw it two weeks before that and the audience was full. The whole theater was full. It, It was on a weekend, but it was getting a lot of buzz and there were a lot of, at that point, a lot of what you would call, pre-Oscar movies, you know, the ones that are have been released to try to get the buzz to get in the Oscar race. And I believe that's one of the reasons it got the limited release early on was the start. But Sandra, I know you saw it before I did. Yeah, actually, I was invited to a private screening on, on November 28th and and the, the theater was also was packed. I mean, it was it was a private screening. There were media people there. It was awesome. I mean, everyone that walked out that, you know, you could, you know, you could hear the whispers. Wow, that was amazing. I love that. I never heard of these women. The story is great. What is, why did it take so long, um, you know, for us to get a film like this? So the reactions even then, um, you know, were, you know, were, were pretty amazing. Uh, just the reactions from, from the film. So it was awesome. Yeah. Now, Sandra, was your audience primarily African-American or was it a mix? 
no. <laughs> when you know, when I looked around the room, there were a few African American, but uh, African American people there. But it, I would say it was probably a mix. But there were probably more, you know, Caucasian people there, if anything. And I'm not okay. sure because of like the whole media thing. But again, I mean, it was a mix. But there were probably more of, you know, uh, Caucasian people than African Americans. And Trisha, what about you? Did you notice anything? Uh, well, I was in Boca Raton, so that's going to oh. be pretty white. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, at least it was full. Like, that's good. It's good to hear. So the film was expected to gross around $20 million from about 2,400 theaters in its opening weekend, and the studio actually projected a more conservative 15 to $17 million debut. It actually made $1.2 million on Thursday night previews and $7.6 million on its first day, that very first Friday. Initially, projections had it going to $21.8 million in its opening weekend but and to finish second behind Rogue One a Star Wars story, but final figures revealed that the film would actually make a total of $22.8 million beating out Rogue One for its very first week. And that is awesome for me. Like, I'm just like, yes, because it's all women and all people of color. And I was like, see, Hollywood, you can make these and it works. <laughs> So did any of you notice that about how it was, it was number one for two weeks in a row? Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, and I also like to add to, I know a lot of groups who actually, you know, that, you know, that hosted, um, you know, screenings um, of hitting figures. So, you know, the, the three women that the story is about, they were a member of an African-American sorority, um, Alpha Kappa Alpha. And so, uh, so a lot of the other sororities, they, they really supported the film, you know, hosted groups of people. I know, you know, I know organization that would take busloads of people to go watch the film to make sure that, you know, they, they, you know, not only want to support the film, but they actually um, learn the story of these, um, uh, these three women. I think that that leads to kind of one of the, it doesn't matter even if you have a big market spread because you have a high budget movie, ultimately it comes down to word of mouth of people coming, deciding they wanted to support something. And there's been nothing but good buzz on this movie. So that helps. People say this is a really fun movie, go see it. And they, and they do, they hear the buzz. So I, it it's exciting. Just it reinforces the way movies get sold essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool both of you got to see it early. I didn't get to see it until that opening weekend. I think I saw it that Saturday. I think that Saturday night. And I was really excited for it. I would seen the trailer. I thought it was going to be great. I really wanted to know what the story was. But I didn't, obviously, I didn't know the story. And I just thought it would be a great movie to go and support. And then after I saw it, I was like, wow, this is actually a great story and a great movie. And why did I just hear about this now? Uh, Trisha, so as we start this off, did you have any expectations of it before you went in? And did it meet those expectations? Uh, I'm a big Taraji P. Henson fan. So she had put her weight behind this. I kind of felt like I wanted to go see it for her no matter what. Uh, I knew the story. Also, I was aware of that they, you know, that 
they had been there and been part of it. And the the character was also featured of Katherine Johnson was also featured on Timeless, one of the TV shows I keep telling people to go watch because it has Matt Lanter from the Clone Wars, Anakin Skywalker. And they also showed her story in an episode, too. Uh, so the, it's getting wider play right now as far as her role. But it's it's always good to see stuff like that. So did the film meet your expectations or did any of it surprise you at all? Um I I think the the uh, the emotional arc of how they made it into really a hero's journey and also that you you there wasn't a person who wasn't cheering at the end the audience the whole audience clapped for the movie you don't see that all the time and everyone seemed to come out smiling and not enough movies do that anymore I mean sometimes it's just about blowing your mind or whatever big but this proved again that characters and having a journey can you can make it work and Sandra, what about you? Going into this, what were your initial thoughts and did it meet those expectations that you had? You know, I was, you know, in college when I, you know, back at Penn State, I was actually a, you know, black history major. And and honestly, I had no idea who these women were <laughs> until until this film. Like, you, you know, you learn about, you know, black history. It's, it's like they take you back into you learn about you know, things that happened in the past or just things that were, you know, that were that are, that are, that are things that are current, but you never really get to hear the, the middle part. And to me, Hidden Figures is kind of in the middle of, you know, a black history that you never really, really hear. You never really hear a thing about. And so it, it, it definitely, I, I think I went in not knowing and I walked out not only knowing, but wanted to hear more, wanted to learn more about these women and their contribution to NASA. So, you know, that was, that's really, that was really my take on it. Yeah. So like I said before, I grew up loving NASA and here's my famous astronaut story. I really wanted to be an astronaut when I was little. And Trisha, I think you'll get a kick out of this. And then I've learned by watching Apollo 13 that I needed to know what a gimbal was and be able to do math without a calculator and I said, well, I can't do that, so I'm not going to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> have, have either of you guys seen The Martian with Matt, with Matt Damon? No, you mean the movie that won for Best Comedy Golden Globe? <laughs> <laughs> well, he is funny in the movie. He, his, uh, his, he even jokes about it. But there is, again, he's not necessarily your typical astronaut, but there's an emphasis just on how incredibly smart and self-sufficient uh, also in gravity same thing with Sandra Bullock that you how in like these people are so so smart they're smart beyond what most of us can comprehend and then on top of that they're uh, athletically fit and you know they have good eye hand coordination there's just like the crazy things they have to be able to do to go into space and and withstand it I know. I just wanted to go into space. I didn't want to do all the work that required going into space. Or, or risk being on top of a rocket that doesn't make it there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> go ahead. I mean, it's more like you can go on the roller coaster and get the sensation, but you know, you're going to come back down. Okay. So there's, you know, I, I grew up 
you know, the Challenger is an impressionable event in my life. Uh, just so people have a little bit of context for that. Uh, after the Challenger happened, I went into an engineering position. I was in college, but in the summers, I worked in an engineering position in the Space Command in the Pentagon, which is the Air Force's arm of the space program. So we were doing the rebudgeting for the space program, uh, and people don't have as good appreciation of how much the military supports the space program. It, and this movie might remind you a little bit. It was all about beating the Russians up there as a military advantage. They didn't really talk about that. It was like, oh, one step for mankind. But it was all about getting there first because otherwise the Russians were going to be in space and be able to look down at them. That was the whole motivation. And you see that play out with the characters. Mm -hmm. You mean it wasn't just about going to the moon and finding cheese? Because that's what I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so in this movie, we get to see these three amazing women that are just super duper crazy smart. And I thought we'd talk a little bit about the characters first. And Trisha, you found an article today talking about Kevin Costner's character and that he's actually an amalgamation of like three different directors at NASA. And like I I had kind of figured that because I had never heard his name before. And I was like, well, this guy's sort of real but not real. But I hope some of the stuff about him was real. I really do. Well, yeah. Uh, the the yeah, interesting thing for Kevin Costner, I read it after I saw the movie. And I, w I wish I had seen, read it before because what he talks about is he, he said he wanted to do the part. He's very supportive of diversity initiatives as a producer and a filmmaker himself. And, but he wanted the character to have an arc. He wanted something to happen for him. And he felt like actually he, that the screenwriter needed to take him out of some seat. Not not out of the scene, but he would be in the background. Like he had a goal. His goal was to get men in space and he was oblivious to all the other um, obstacles. But as a person who's trying to get a man into space, he kept having to acknowledge them, especially in the great scene with Katherine Johnson, when she finally comes back from running through the rain to go to the bathroom. And he's sort of in, you know, that's when they have, he has a confrontation with her and she explains what she's going through and the obstacles to her being success. So it's just really interesting how he uh, wanted just to be an observing character who would occasionally come in and say, okay, well she needs this. So, so he's, he's almost blind to the racism that existed to the obstacles to these women becoming successes and contributing. I mean, the running to the bathroom is a little bit exaggerated in this as far as the story. It was actually a different character who who was running the farthest that but they you know, they were trying they had to change some things to make a movie that people would be interested in and still convey what happened back then. Mm -hmm. Now, Sandra, this is, is a good area for me to ask you about because that scene that she was just talking about with the final not really final but the big showdown between Katherine Johnson and Kevin Costner the whole time I had my hand like partially over my face going oh my god oh <laughs> my god she's like this cannot possibly go well what were you feeling at that moment 
<laughs> you know, that was probably one of my one of my favorite scenes. And you know, like like Trisha said, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of of of, of Tara G and that scene I think just made me you know love her character even more. Um it was just, just a powerful scene. Like it was just something that we wanted to see. We wanted to happen. Like how did she finally, you know, face, you know, face her boss pretty much, you know, by having to run, you know, two miles to go to the restroom every day. So that was probably one of the most powerful scenes in the film. And I think everyone that was sitting in the audience was just waiting, were just on the edge of their seat waiting for the showdown. And well, it was beautiful. The one thing is that the the act of having to not go to the bathroom to is something that is universal to all humans. Everybody can relate to having to hold it or having to run to the bathroom. So it's a brilliant storytelling point as far as you you cannot not have empathy for that character in that moment. So I I love that. Well, and what was great as sort of a I guess like a, a cap to the end of that scene is she she mentions that she had to use different coffee like a different coffee pot that didn't even really work cuz they wouldn't plug it in for her and he walks over there and looks at it and he's just like are you serious yeah that's you know? that's yeah. his obliviousness <laughs> yeah. he doesn't even notice mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah but he he takes it one step further and i love that kevin costner's character did this that he actually goes and takes down the signs that say colored restroom because they all have one goal, which is all the same goal, which is a, to get a man to the moon. And if that's going to get in the way of the goal, then, you know, F it. Because <laughs> who cares? And I thought that was really cool. And then also one of the differences we found, and I know, Trisha, you found this too, is that Katherine Johnson has actually talked openly about feeling the seg- segregation at NASA. And she said that she didn't really feel the segregation because everybody was there doing research. You mi- you had a mission and you worked on it and it was important to you to do your job and play bridge at lunch. That's <laughs> what she said. So I love that, that everything was just like, we've got a job to do and I know they had to talk about it in this film to make a point, but um, I just love the fact that everything was like, get to the moon, get to the moon. Although I guess that was their, that wasn't really their goal until JFK was like, we're going to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) But 1969. Uh, Okay. So let's talk about Jim Parson and Kristen Dunst's characters really quick. They were also amalgamations and they were there specifically to really highlight racism i think uh jim parsons character is paul stafford and he was trying to take out katherine johnson's legs everywhere he could and at first i didn't understand why he was blacking out stuff i was like why are you doing that (laughs) i was so confused But I'll tell you, one of the best lines of that whole thing was when she said, I held it up to the light. See, Trisha, maybe you can pick up on talking about Kirsten Dunst's character as a, you know, like a white lady in a dressing. (laughs) Well, it... It was in, it was interesting because she she's a character who is you know an obstacle and Octavia Spencer's Dorothy Vaughn is sort of the she's the mathematician and the supervisor and she's trying to get 
all she wants to be a supervisor and this is what Kristen Dunst's character Vivian Mitchell doesn't is she you know you can't be a supervisor there's not an opportunity for you to be she's just saying it doesn't happen she's not trying to be an advocate but that's also it's a in a way to me very real is a lot of times women aren't necessarily supportive of other women uh but and she's not only not supportive as a woman i also believe there's you know some racism that she doesn't want to acknowledge because she even they have that conversation in the bathroom she's like i'm not racist and she's like Okay, you can believe that, but you know your actions still make you. Those are racist actions. Is essentially the way the conversation went. I can't, I can't do it justice for the way the scene played out. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in the end, this she needed. You know, it, ultimately, in the end, I think this is the great message from Dorothy's story. In this, is that Dorothy doesn't worry too much about the racism. She keeps advocating for herself. One and two, she set, sees an opening, which is the IBM, which nobody's paying attention to. That computer, so she goes and figures sees that as an opening. She creates a way, a path in, a way to be accepted. So she doesn't focus. She's aware of it. She will address and confront racism and sexism as an obstacle, but she doesn't let it uh, overwhelm her and let her not succeed in what she's doing. Yeah. Let's talk about Dorothy Vaughn for a minute in the scene in the library when she says they don't have the books I need over there <laughs> in the colored section of the library. I I about die laughing. Um, Sandra, what did you think about Dorothy Vaughn as far as the way that she portrayed herself? Honestly, you know, Dorothy, Dorothy Vaughn's character is a, a, a character that a lot of, I would say, a lot of African a lot of not only just women but African American women, um, you know, can you know can relate to. And then I find that a lot of my friends in, in discussing this film, you know, they're, they're, they're highly educated women. You know, they have PhDs, they have master's degrees. And a lot of times, even though they are, I would say, quote unquote, perfect for the job, they are, they're, they're not looked at because of the color of their skin or, or because they're a woman. And so a lot of people that I had discussion with, they felt just like Dorothy, like, wow, you know, in my workplace, you know, I may be the most qualified, the most educated, you know, with the degree I can do the job. I'm already doing the job, but I, I won't get the job because I because I'm a black woman. So her character, I know a lot of women could really, really connect with it because it's, it's just what they live daily on a daily basis. And I think the dynamic between the two of them is very important just for women in general, because women being involved at NASA at all was a huge thing and not just as like a secretary. That was huge. And then having, you know, both races there was also a huge thing. And I didn't even know that this stuff existed. And I thought it was interesting in the way that people were acknowledging each other. You know, if you were white, you were called by your name, whereas if you were African-American, I think they were just referring to them as miss, you know, and I'm like, I don't like that seems, hmm, it kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, I don't know if anybody else picked up on that, and I didn't know that it even was just that, like, that small. I mean, 
my family experienced a lot of racism here in Texas because there wasn't as huge of an African-American population. So it was the Mexican-Americans that were treated the same way. And I don't remember my grandparents and my great-grandma talking about even just verbiage and the way that people were addressed. Um, Sandra, you said you studied um, black history. Was that something that was discussed with the way that people were addressed even in the 60s? Well, I'm surprised they even used the word miss because back then <laughs> it was just you. Um, you know, there wasn't really, your name didn't matter. It was just, oh, okay, this is just another person in the office. Again, I think probably because it was NASA, you know, just out of professionalism. And honestly, I don't really know if it just, was just for the film um, that they said miss. But, you know, back then you really didn't have a name. It was just you or a girl or a boy. Um, so that's how a lot of, you know, people of color, or at least African-Americans were addressed historically back then. So I was even shocked to even hear the word miss being used. Interesting. Yeah, see, this is some of the stuff like, I didn't know about. So how do you guys feel about the story just coming out now? Like that we're just now getting it in 2016, 2017, when clearly this happened a long time ago. Uh, Trisha, do you have any thoughts on like why that's happening and how do you feel about that? Well, it's uh, absolutely a function of the Hollywood system, which, you know, is it's at the ho Hollywood hiring practices are under federal investigation for discriminations. And this is one of the reasons why it's so the numbers are staggering on how low it is for producers, cinematographers, directors, screenwriters, and really most often you tell the story that you're familiar with and it, this isn't, it's not a, it's not just an American thing. Like when I traveled down to Peru and we had Peruvian guides, they would tell you about Peru from, you know, their local point of view. But most of what we learn about that country is from the white conquerors point of view, the, you know, the people who came from Europe, from Spain specifically. So you get a kind of skewed view of everything because uh, essentially the, the victor gets to tell the story. And in this case, these women were crucial, but there wasn't a, a vehicle, uh, a way to get their story out until somebody decided they wanted to tell the story, that they decided that it was important. Because as you pointed out, Teresa, earlier, that even, you know, Katherine Johnson talks about it. She, To her, it doesn't seem like a, she, you know she was just doing her job and doing her thing and she was getting it done. And there was actually a, a really interesting moment and timeless this week where they talked, they went back in time to meet the legend, the man who was the legend of the Lone Ranger. And he was actually a black Texas Ranger and the character Rufus, who's the black uh, engineer. He asked him, please be Please tell more people about your story. Please take more credit. Because, and he said, why? And he said, well, because more people want to know your story. And he said, well, I don't really, that's not what I'm concerned about. And so it was an interesting dynamic of how sometimes the people who are in the stories don't necessarily want to tell it because they don't see it as a as the triumph that someone from the outside would. So you had to have somebody who says, this is a really important story. And it is a really important story because it, what do what do they say? It's the if you can see it, you can be it, 
And so just seeing these women that they accomplished it because there are so many stories about the astronauts and, uh, you know, white men succeeding that this one shows, well, you can go to school and do math. I, when I was in high school, my teacher told me no girl will get an A in my class. So you have to have somebody show you that you can. Yeah. yeah. That, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Now I was going to say this film clearly shows, you know, letting Hollywood know, you know, women or just, you know, people of color, we want more films with death. We want more, you know, more films where, you know, we are getting you know, a different perspective. Like it's not all about, Oh, you know, a comedy or, you know, not, not, not knocking like Medea. That's fine too. Yes. We love that. We laugh, but we do want films that act, you know, that shows a different perspective um, of, you know, African-American women. Um, yes. We, you know, we're accomplished, you know, we, uh, many of us are doing great things, you know, accomplish many things. And we would love to see things like that on the screen. So this film really, I think it's one of the films that's, you know, sort of opening up, opening up a doorway uh, to let Hollywood know that th- we want this. We want this. And there should be more uh, movies like this uh, for not just African-American women, but just for people in general. We want to see these films. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that while we are faced in a a trying time where it seems like there's a resurgence of racism, I don't I always hesitate hesitate to say that. But I almost feel like we're approaching a new version of the civil rights movement in a way. And history always seems to repeat itself. But I feel like this movie is trying to cross those gaps between, you know, the people who like just seeing ourselves for the race that we are and stuff, but then getting to humanize everything and seeing all of us as humans and getting to see the dynamic between these Caucasian characters and these African-American characters. And I know for me being a Hispanic, Latin American, Mexican, American, whatever name you want to put on me, because there's like 10 different ones um so whichever one you choose uh it's interesting because the mexican-american culture is just we tend to be a little bit quieter of a culture we don't really get in people's faces very often but i would love to see a story about some of the things that we've done that i don't know about you know, it made me think about that. I'm like, well, what about Heather? Is there anything that we've done as a culture that I don't know about? And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, I'm sure there is. Absolutely. So, there is. Yeah. So Definitely. I'm hoping that this will kind of spur some of that stuff. Teresa, and- you, you don't get in the in people's face as a culture. Well, but then there's people like Diego Luna who absolutely will take it right to people. So maybe that, you know, it's different examples and acknowledgement. He's also uh, put his money where his mouth is telling stories, just specifically what you're talking about. Uh, So, and we've seen the example of the, the gentleman who showed Rogue One to his father, and he's like, he let him keep his accent. You know, they let him talk. You know, talk with his Mexican accent and still be the hero. Like he gets to be the hero and save the day. So, you know, those are important 
important things for everybody to see themselves. Yeah. Well, and I agree with you bringing up Diego Luna because he does it in a way that is so classy that I'm, I'm so proud to be of the same race as him. But I also think that I'm a little bit removed because uh, it's funny off air, Sandra, you made a comment that resonates with me. Um, growing up, I was called a coconut because, <laughs> and because I did grow up in very white culture, but as being a Hispanic or whatever. And it's just, it's very interesting because I see a lot of these stories being told and I get Elena of Avalor on Disney Junior. So <laughs> that's about the closest I've got right now. Um, but, you know, let's talk about this film a little bit, Trisha, from the viewpoint of there's someone in here I saved. I didn't talk about Mary Jackson yet because I felt like she might be the one that was the most impactful for you because she's an engineer and she's the first African American engineer. Did you know about her before this film? I did. Yes. Oh, good. Tell us. I, but you know, the crazy thing is, I didn't recognize Janelle Monet. I didn't realize that's who, who she was. Like yeah. until she's playing, I'm like, holy cow! I mean, P if people from Star Wars might recognize her from the Cover Girl ads that mm -hmm. from the Star Wars tie-in campaign, and Janelle Monet uh, often likes to wear suits on the run runway or to big events to kind of normalize that you don't have to dress a certain way. But here she is in these like fantastic beautiful outfits not only i mean let's they just say we're styling all of them the ladies in this movie uh but she what she did was she she worked it like an engineer and there's also an important point in this movie too specifically with janelle and uh janelle's character mary jackson and then also with katherine johnson is the men in their lives didn't necessarily believe in them either mm -hmm. so you have a secondary not, not only did they have they not only did they have a little bit of racism, they had sexism from their own, you know, from their own people of their who they think should support them. And the men eventually did come around. I don't know if that's more of a storytelling point, but that is true. That's a lot of times you d you're not going to get the support from everybody be as being in that role. But she she engineered her way that's part of people don't realize that when you're engineering it's not just science it's not just math it's not just numbers you have to figure out how to get people to come around to your point of view so when i'm designing something in, as an engineer the one person doesn't want it to cost a lot of money the people who are using i do traffic signals mostly the people who are using the traffic signals don't want it to stop them the other other people just want it to be safe because their kid a kid has gotten hit crossing the road so they want to stop people and then you have maybe multiple governing agencies that have control of the road and they all have their own priorities so what mary jackson does is she goes to the judge she has to go through all these steps, but she's essentially doing what an engineer does is she's going through and convincing people, not necessarily in their own way. She doesn't say, judge, you should let me do this. She says, do you want to go down as history as the first? She appealed to his ego. And that is something that people think, oh, engineers aren't people persons or they can't talk to people. That's exactly not what engineers are. They have to be able to convince people to all come to the same conclusion. And a lot of times they don't have the same mindset. So you have to bring numbers and data and sometimes a little bit of persuasion. 
So you said you did know about her before this particular film. Yes. And knowing about her beforehand, was she any kind of an inspiration for you? Because she, you're, you've always been so big on diversity and, um, you know, and women in the workplace and stuff. So did she have an impact on you becoming an engineer or anything? I'm not, maybe not, maybe I'm stretching. No, well, but I, I think that more importantly, as someone who wants to talk about, there's more people out there that can, you know, that women can do things too. She was another person that I had, had seen about when I went to geek girl con, I want to say it was the three years ago. It might've been two years ago. One of the astronauts spoke and she's still, was still uh, working at NASA. She was one of the, um, uh, space shuttle astronauts she talked about that nasa was actually or had always been inclusive and a lot of these um names came up in the discussion and that's because numbers numbers math science becomes an equalizer because ultimately they just needed the person to do the best job that could do the job the best that could get it done and so they're not necessarily inspiration, but if you're trying to be an advocate for people who don't have, she's a way for me to give inspiration to other people. If you want to share examples. And I, that's what I do a lot. I share examples. So I'm not sure how I've, I've worked a lot of these people into social media and talking over the years. And so I think more importantly, I don't think I had a, I didn't have an emotional connection to her. But I do now. I definitely have an emotional connection. If I were ever look at somebody and say, oh, my kid really wants to be an engineer, it wouldn't matter who that kid was. I would say you need to watch this movie because this shows you what an engineer has to go through. Not just any engineer. You're always going to have to overcome obstacles. It's a universal story as much as it is a story about overcoming racism. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So – as we come towards the end, and I want to talk about, you know, obviously awards that the movie has been nominated for and won, we find out that Katherine Johnson actually helped calculate the trajectories for Apollo 11 and Apollo 13, which I just was like, yeah, because, of course, Apollo 11 is the one that landed on the moon, and Apollo 13, as we all know, uh, was the one that almost landed on the moon. <laughs> Um, but you know, she, the, I think the biggest thing for her is that in 2015, she was finally awarded the presidential medal of freedom, which I just think is so cool that our former president gave her that honor. And I kind of wish all three of them could have gotten that honor, <laughs> but now I can watch that and know who she is, which I think is really cool. So as we talk about awards really quick, I want to mention that the last two years have been hashtag Oscars so white. We're talking about the Academy Awards because of the lack of diversity represented in the nominations for the Academy Awards. This year, however, which I think is just amazing, the four major categories and the best directing category all have a person of color which is amazing. And three of the nine films nominated for best picture are predominantly black casts, which is very, very cool. So let's talk about what they have for Academy Awards. Hidden Figures has been nominated for best picture. 
Best Supporting Actress for Octavia Spencer and Best Adapted Screenplay. I've seen a little bit on social media today of people being upset about Taraji P. Henson not getting the nomination for Best Actress. Were either of you upset or miffed by that? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm upset. Again, you know, I didn't really pay attention much to what was happening as far as, you know, people being upset that she wasn't nominated. Um, but, but I can, but I can understand that because she, her, I mean, her, her, her character was an amazing character and Terry, she brought that character to life. She did an amazing job. Again, a lot of times, you know, I'm not sure what these Oscar folks are looking for, <laughs> you know, but I think she did an amazing job. And Teresa, who so did- I- who did get nominated in that category for best actress? Yeah. Emma Stone for La La Land, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Isabel Huppert, oh, it's a French last name, I'm going to mess it up, for Elle, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, and Ruth Naga for Loving. So I believe that's Ruth Naga is, um, I don't know. American. Is she? I don't know if she's African American or she was. You know, I never want to just assume somebody's ethnicity because we have so much, so many people that are mixed. But yeah, I guess she is. I think she's um, biracial because there was a story not to because she, um, her family, I believe, is from this area, like the D.C. Um, what we call the D.M.V. the D.C. Virginia, uh, Maryland area. There was a story in the news not too long ago where her family said something like that that she's she was biracial like she was indian like she's you know she's indian and 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 white i'm not sure uh so there's there's a lot there's a lot of you know um there's a lot of sto- different stories going on about her character so i have no idea but i believe that actress i believe she's biracial yeah. though so amy adams didn't get nominated in this category. she did not and that's been a huge thing that she was um, snubbed. You know, they always have the list of snubs for this year. And so that's one of them. Yeah, um, yeah like I've I've seen all but the uh, two, two of them. Like Amy Adams, I think, was better than, than Taraji P. Henson as far as bringing it. So I'm just more disappointed that she didn't get it. And I, and I honestly, the... F- Meryl Streep's movie I watched it and I didn't get it so I don't know if it's that I didn't get it that I was kind of like uh, I can't okay she got nominated again I love Meryl Streep but the movie didn't do it for me uh, a lot of people really liked that they were in love with that movie so you know it's hard to say things become the Hollywood's darlings and how they how they pick but I would have picked Amy Adams over her her for the leading actress role if I were going to wish somebody else got in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for best actor, it was, I'm trying to find it, uh, but it was Casey Affleck, Andrew Garfield, Ryan Gosling, Vigo Mortensen, and Denzel Washington. Um, there are some people that are upset that Denzel Washington didn't get nominated for best director for Fences, but um Damien Chazelle was nominated for La La Land, um, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Uh, and then Mel Gibson has come back from Hollywood death and <laughs> was nominated for Best Director, so I thought that was funny. Um, but back to Hidden Figures, they've been nominated for a ton of awards, just a 
like the list goes on and on. They were nominated for two Golden Globes. They didn't win either. Um, Octavia Spencer was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and she, uh, they got Best Original Score, which I thought the score was amazing. Pharrell Williams and Hans Zimmer worked on that score, and I just thought it was so good. So good. Uh, but there's a lot of other nominations for smaller awards, but those are the two big ones. Um, it looks like Screen Actors Guild Awards also have, they have some nominations for SAG Awards. I always call them the SAGs. And I'm one of those people, I'm obsessed with award shows, so I record <laughs> them all because I just love the, I love the acceptance speeches. That's probably the best thing about them. But we can say Viola Davis is now the most nominated African-American actress. She has three. Three. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. So I guess we can say this year they can't really say Oscar's so white anymore, I guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so does anybody have any final thoughts or things they want to add about this movie? I mean, I think it's everybody needs to see it, in my opinion. Every single person on this planet needs to see it so and i'm gonna say it including our president he needs to see hidden figures uh <laughs> so <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm sorry i just have to I have well to. It, i think it's a good it's a good way to make and this is an important thing about what's going on in our country right now it, is that it's about teaching empathy. It's about seeing other people's stories. And a lot of, there's a lot of discussion going on, uh, um, you know, polls where there are people who believe that, that the white men are the most oppressed people in the country. That's a, that is a running belief. There are statistics that when asked about that, they believe it. So uh, the, and one of the things is if you only see stories about, white men struggling with things, you will begin to believe that that is the struggle of the world. So this becomes an important way for people to see other people struggling through their life. It's it's just a way of uh, teaching empathy. There were two, there are two comments on our Facebook group that um, one from Lori Lazette, um, you know, she said it was a great movie. It told a story about the space program I didn't know about it. I thought I had heard all of the story. It was funny, moving, and inspirational. And then uh, Gabriel Cobal says, uh, my father-in-law, who is an inner-city school teacher, plans to show it as soon as he can to his students. He, is, he especially hopes it speaks to the many African-American girls in his classes as showing just what is possible. That's pretty amazing. And that was pretty much it. It's a super powerful message for sure. And, you know, Sandra, you and I are both teachers, and I think we can both see how this could be used as a teaching tool. Um, So for you, what lasting impact did this have? And do you think you may want to show it to your kiddos? Uh, Most definitely. I believe we are um, taking a group to see it. I want to say next week. Um, I, I, I didn't volunteer to go. I really, because I really don't like field trips, but I was asked to go. <laughs> I was asked to go, so I am planning on going. So yes, I'm excited about it, but I really didn't volunteer to go. Um, I think one of the things that stood out um, to me, I believe it was um, the character that worked with uh, Mary Johnson. I'm sorry, I can't remember his uh, his name right now. The Polish guy, and one of the comments he said uh, to Mary Johnson. Um, 
I believe he said, we are, we are living the impossible. Um, that really stood out to me, you know, as a person, you know, of color, you know, I, you know, I'm not originally from this, you know, from America, you know, I came from, I came from Haiti. And a lot of times when I look back at my story, you know, where I am today in my life, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to be where I am today. You know, I didn't expect to um, get a full scholarship to Penn State University. You know, I didn't expect to oh, have a master's degree. You know, I didn't expect to, you know, be, you know, teaching and doing something that, you know, that I, that I really, really love. So, you know, growing up, even though like my parents, you know, were, you know, my dad was an educator, you know, even, you know, things like that growing up, you don't really, you know, I didn't really think about you know, where I would be right now in my life. So again, when I, when I think about the movie, when I think about that quote, you know, I think about my life and, you know, where I am today. So, you know, it's definitely a powerful film and, you know, it, it touches so many different people uh, in so many different ways. You know, I see it from a one perspective, you know, some other friends that I have, they see it from a different perspective. And I think that's what's so amazing about it. But at the end of the day, we can all relate to one of the characters in the film. Yeah, I, I think all of that is completely true. I, For me, as far as the impact it had on me, I think it just made me want to be a lot more aware and to be more cognizant of things, not just the stories that are being given to me, but seeking out the stories that are sort of untold. I think that was the biggest thing. And then also just being so proud that a movie that focused on women, no matter the color of their skin, could be so successful in Hollywood. And it gave me a lot of hope for what we can potentially see in film as we move forward. So I hope there's some people out there that are see the success of this and say, you know what? Well, I'm going to get this story made. And I hope we get a whole lot more of this. So... Yeah, the return on right. the, the return on their investment was very good for the for what the money they put in. If you look at it, you know the margins was amazing. I want to before we go, the character of John Glenn, who we lost, we lost John Glenn this year. Um, so it was a little bit tough to see that, but man, that guy Glenn Powell, he was awesome. So yeah, he's from Austin, Texas. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I really like, I was like, who is that guy? Cause he's, you know, John, John Glenn had a lot of charisma and, you know, he went on to a, a long career in politics and just doing what he needed to do. He was a, he was a charismatic man. And the moment when he asked for the calculations to run, that is a true moment to, you know, he, he trusted her with his life essentially. I know where I've seen him before. He's in The Great Debaters. Ah. I knew I had seen him somewhere. I just wasn't sure. He needs where. to be in more movies. I really like yes. him. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. So before we end this show, um, Sandra, do you have anything you'd like to plug? And how can people find you online? I The best way for anyone to connect with me is probably Twitter. And I am at GeekChick9. Um, so just, you know, that's, they can ask me questions, you know, they can just follow me there um, on Twitter. And also we have a show being released, um, uh, another chat coming up where my, me, uh, Trisha and Ajua, who's also one of the admins on our Facebook group, where we discussed Rogue One, our, uh, our reaction to Rogue One. So that's coming up. So look out for that. And, you know, definitely follow us on, on Facebook, follow Fangirls Going Rogue on, on Twitter, 
on uh, Instagram. We're all over the place. The Facebook group now is it's amazing. We're meeting so many different people. Uh, we're talking about not just Star Wars, but fandom. So it's it's an amazing group of people. So I hope um, you all can join us. And Trisha, what about you? We just recorded uh, Next Hyperspace Theories, which will be number 25. A lot of Rogue One discussion of world building. You got the art of Rogue One, which is a fantastic book. So we kind of went in and looked at that, looked at how they developed the story. And we also did our talk on Carrie Fisher as a legacy of her storytelling, the things she's done as a writer. And that's pretty much it. I have some big articles coming long ones that are taking me a long time to write. As always, you can find me at fangirl cantina. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Ice Cold Penguin. Probably my newest stuff would be we released the last episode of Fangirl Chat, which was an interview I had with Trevor Duvall, who many of you may know from the Star Wars Lego series of TV shows as Emperor Palpatine. And I am also on the most recent episode of Ion Cannon talking about the amazing Sabine episode of Rebels Trials of the Darksaber. And Disney Vault Talk is going strong, going strong. You can pick, you can, you can pick, you can hear our most recent episode soon. It was our most recent top 10 list where we went through our top 10 Disney TV shows. And let me tell you, that list is diverse. It goes from Disney Junior all the way back to Disney Afternoons in the 90s. So it goes all over the place. So until next time for Sandra, Trisha, and myself, thanks for joining us, and we will catch you later. We don't really have a sign-out for this show. We need to fix that. I always never know how to end it because um, we don't yub-yub here. We, I don't know. I don't know what we do. So we'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye.